Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ben Jarofsky show for this Friday, May 5th starts now. On today's show, it's Cinco de Mayo, and who better to host Oh What a Week on Cinco de Mayo than the great comedian Pat Whalen? The Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, and so much more. Hey, uh, Ben Jarofsky, he pretty much lives over there. So just follow him. Uh, You can find information. You can find columns, all that cool stuff. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A, V is in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this It Never Ends Friday, and here's why. It's actually, oh, what a week Friday. It's always, for, oh, what a week on Friday. But It Never Ends is is a reference to the never-ending, ceaseless scandals coming out of Clarence Thomas, the, the Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. So let me just uh, back up for a moment uh, and explain. Yesterday, uh, we recorded a bonus that will drop this weekend uh, with the political know-it-alls, uh, Danny Pogoshelsky and Jacob Kaplan, Executive Director of the uh, Cook County Democrats. And Danny is now a water rec commissioner. I knew the kid when he was a, a labor activist, a union organizer. Now he's an elected official. So you ask him a question every now and then, Pat Whalen, who's my guest on what a week. You watch Danny do some ducking and, <laughs> duck, and I'm like, whoa, young Daniel. I've never seen you duck and dodge so much. Uh, anyway, there was <laughs> just teasing you, Danny. Anyway, so I did a riff. I, my opening riff for that was about Clarence Thomas, the scandal that broke yesterday, in which uh, he was. <laughs> When his friend, the rich guy, was pouring money over to uh, Clarence Thomas to pay for Clarence Thomas's great nephew's high school tuition at a private school. Nobody reported this. And then uh, so this is the ongoing, like, drip by drip reporting on all the things that this uh, crow, this billionaire crow, has paid for for Clarence Thomas. Uh, crow, of course, is a conservative activist, also funds various uh, right-wing groups who are all bringing their cases before the Supremes to do things like, I don't know, eradicate affirmative action, eradicate abortion rights, eradicate union rights, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, So somehow or other, there are no ethics that govern Supreme Court justices. And somehow or other, Clarence Thomas is unaware that this is like, what, unseemly? Every time something like this breaks, he goes, oh, I didn't realize I was supposed to report this? You're kidding. Oh, my God, it never occurred to me. Why should I have to report this? I'm just taking care of my nephew. <laughs> so what are you always had some excuse. So I was done with that outrage. About an hour later, I get a text 
uh, from Jacob. Washington Post story just broke in the Washington Post about an hour after we're done recording. And this one, ladies and gentlemen, the latest Clarence Thomas scandal is a doozy. Now, I'm going to try to explain it to you. It's very complicated, but in some ways, it's an exact replica or a parallel replica, I should say, of the Michael Madigan corruption case here in Illinois. And I always bring these up to accentuate this essential point that Democrats live in one world where there are rules and regulations and you're held accountable for your behavior and there are consequences for breaking the rules and regulations. You could go to jail for breaking the rules and regulations. The Madigan four were convicted this week. They may go to jail. They may be forced to testify against Michael Joseph Madigan, the former House Speaker, next year when he goes on trial for breaking the rules and regulations. But in Magaland, there are no rules. There are no regulations. There are no consequences whatsoever for bad behavior. There's always an excuse. And the whole deal, it, they're banking on Donald Trump getting elected in 2024 so that what? He can pardon whoever is convicted if it's in federal court or make sure that the Justice Department never goes after any of MAGA rule breakers. Donald Trump was just on the Steve Bannon podcast the other day, speaking of people that Donald Trump has pardoned. So this is kind of be the scam they got going. But anyway, here's the deal. There's a gentleman named Leonard Leo. He's a judicial activist. He uh, is a chief, like a fundraiser and an operative for various right-wing conservative causes that bring their cases to the Supreme Court to do, as I said, eradicate affirmative action, eradicate abortion rights, uh, and uh, union rights, et cetera, and so forth. Then there is Ginny Thomas, who's Clarence Thomas's wife, who's a right-wing political activist herself. Then there is Kellyanne Conway. I'm sure you remember Kellyanne Conway. Uh, she was Donald Trump's communication chief. She was her campaign spokesperson in 2016, went with him to the White House. Before that, she was had her own. I didn't realize that she had her own polling firm, as in conducting polls. She was a Republican strategist herself. Uh, she, of course, is, is was married to George Conway. Uh, who is anti-Trumper, so that's that interesting conflict in that family. They battle it out uh, one side or the other on Donald Trump. She loves him. He doesn't. Anyway, 10 years ago, or about 11 years ago, Leo directed Conway to build a conservative outfit, $25,000 for Severus is rendered. Uh, and then once that bill was paid, she shuffled it over to Ginny Thomas. Apparently, Ginny Thomas was the one who rendered the services. All right. The most important thing, though, is Leo told Kellyanne Conway, do not put Ginny Thomas's name on the bill. Keep Ginny Thomas's name off the bill. Make sure she gets the money, but make sure no one knows she gets the money. Now, I'm like, ladies and gentlemen, please explain something to me. I know I'm not the brightest man in the universe. Okay. So I, I look to other people to explain things to me, like Pat Whalen, who maybe he can explain this thing to me. He's wearing a tie today, so he looks very smart and uh, <laughs> educated. How is that not a bribe? How is that not a <laughs> How is that not taking care of the Supreme Court justice's wife, the same Supreme Court justice who's going to pretty much rule your way and all these issues that you've got going to the court? kick a little money, 
to the Supreme Court justice's wife. How is that not taking care of the Supreme Court justice? You know, you know what I'm saying? There was that great uh, uh, Michael Mann movie that was shot in Chicago a long, long time ago before my distinguished guest was born, but maybe he saw it. Uh, it's called Thief. James Kahn uh, played a, a thief here in the city of Chicago. And there's this classic moment in that movie where there's a, a scene in a courtroom and uh, the lawyer is indicating to the judge uh, how much he's what he's asking the judge in sign language, how much is going to cost the judge to rule in his uh, client's behalf and release him. And he's doing little things like putting scratching his eyebrows, I think, with two fingers as to indicate two thousand dollars. And then the judge puts up like three fingers to scratch. His. It's a very funny little scene. How is this any different? Patrick Whalen has apparently seen the movie. He just indicated to me it was four, not three. How is this any different? I called no, around. Ben, no, Ben, that was my Jay Doherty impression. Oh, <laughs> to that point, I called around yesterday to all my friends, all my friends who follow closely uh, the Madigan uh, trial. And I, I put it to them. Dear friends, I said, how is this any different? And one friend who will remain anonymous, I'll just call him Giannis. Giannis said, it's pretty much a parallel case. And then he drew a great uh, analogy. I got to give Giannis a lot of credit for this one. I did not think of this. He did. I wish I had thought of it. Uh, in this total scheme, Clarence Thomas would be Michael Madigan, the beneficiary, ultimately, of the largesse. And uh, Leonard Leo is, is essentially some comment official uh, Pramia Gorg, I think is her name, who was the one who controlled the money at Commonwealth Edison to direct it to the various parties. Ginny Thomas would be one of the various Madigan operatives who got jobs and contracts as a result of Commonwealth Edison's largesse. And Kellyanne Conway would be someone like Jay Doherty, the man who just got some of the contracts and then quick dished it out to the others. I go, Giannis, you're brilliant. That's genius. I got to give you a lot of credit. And then I said, who's the Danny Solis in this? Because you recall, Alderman Danny Solis was the one or wore the wire that sort of alerted the feds to what Michael M Joseph Madigan was up to in the first place. So I'm wondering, who dropped a dime to the Washington Post to tell <laughs> This the this who told about this crooked scheme? I'm like, was it George Conway? He goes, was it George Conway? He goes, I can't take another day with my wife. She's such a hypocrite. I laugh. It's funny because it's so corrupt. But here's the part that here's the clincher. So they call everybody for comments dutifully. Uh, some people comment, some don't. Leonard Leo, the conservative judicial activist, commented. And this is hilarious. He uh, was the one, of course, who got the whole thing going, instructed Kellyanne Conway to bill on behalf of Ginny Thomas and instructed her not to put Ginny Thomas's name on the bills. And his explanation is that he didn't want to do anything that might embarrass uh, the Thomases. OK, he thinks the Thomases are wonderful people. Here, here's quotes. I have known Clarence and Ginny Thomas since 1990. They are dear friends and people of tremendous goodwill and integrity. 
Anybody who thinks that Justice Thomas is influenced in his worth in his work by what others say or do, including his wife, Ginny, is completely ignorant of who this man is and what he stands for. And anybody who thinks Ginny Thomas would seek to influence the Supreme Court's work is completely ignorant of the respect she has for her husband and the important. He is completely ignorant of who this man is and what he stands for. And anybody who thinks Ginny Thomas would seek to influence the Supreme Court is just wrong. Now, I just got to tell you this. You can't cite, you can't use as a justification keeping this payment secret because you don't want to embarrass the Thomases. That's like not good enough. Do you get what I'm saying? It doesn't matter if you want to embarrass the Thomases or not. The whole point of forcing people to document who is paying them, what they're doing as a consultant is to have transparency and open records and to see just the possibility of a conflict of interest. If there's a conflict of interest that would be embarrassing to Clarence Thomas, you cannot justify concealing that by saying it would be embarrassing to Clarence Thomas. Nobody cares about if it's embarrassing to Clarence Thomas. If it's embarrassing to Clarence Thomas, hello, don't have your wife working for the conservative activists who come before you. He's like indignant. How dare, how dare you even question the motives of Clarence Thomas? See, here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen, you cannot deal. You cannot deal with MAGA right now because they don't believe in any, they don't have any belief in any principles. Nothing guides them. It's all about what they can do, what they can get away with. And they're getting away with a lot right now. There's certainly a lot more accountability for Michael Joseph Madigan, as corrupt as he may be in the state of Illinois, a point I made yesterday. And I guess I have to make this point every day for the rest of the week. I now turn things over to Patrick J. Whalen, comedian, writer, talk show host, political strategist and impresario extraordinaire uh, and model today wearing a beautiful tie <laughs> standing outside uh, in a public plaza somewhere in the city of Chicago. Welcome back, Cotter. Happy Cinco de Mayo, man. Uh, what better day to talk about embarrassing racist white people than Cinco de Mayo. Uh, your thoughts on Clarence Thomas. And the justification Clarence, uh, Clarence. that they gave for not a release, re revealing that his wife was the beneficiary of this consulting contract. They didn't want to embarrass him. Go ahead. I, I think that you're right that Kellyanne Conway was was the handoff for this because no one understands having an embarrassing spouse more than the Conways. You know, they have they have a rough go of it at home from what I hear. I mean, I don't think George is, you know purporting tinfoil hat level conspiracies the way Ginny is. Ginny with an I, by the way, which I think is just, that's great branding. Ginny with a Y is too normal, right? So Ginny with an I, that's that's out there. Uh, but yeah, embarrassing enough? Well, I don't know, Ben. I mean, in all seriousness, this does seem uh, like a little bit of, uh, you know, creative bookkeeping, right? You know, I'm, I'm an artist. I have an artistic background. And sometimes I think I should have gone into being a, a bookkeeper for Republicans because, you know, these stories that they weave are, they're brilliant. They're amazing. They're fantastic. 
fantastical even. Um, but yeah, I, you know, leaving Ginny off seems like a smart political move. I'll give him that much. But uh, the, the comparisons you're drawing are interesting. They're very interesting. Um, it's only money, Ben. You know, at the end of the day, it's only money. It's only democracy. What are you getting so bent out of shape about? You know, we can always buy another country, right? Yeah. Well, it, it's funny when I um, uh, I mentioned uh, ongoing uh, corruption case. I, I'm calling it corruption because it sure smells like corruption to me. Uh, it, it, the reaction I get uh, from folks in Chicago, I, I think a lot of people are just tired of absorbing it all. Uh, and so they don't want to hear about it. So they go, it doesn't matter. They're just going to get away with it anyway. It doesn't matter. No one cares. Why are you getting so bent out of shape about it? And then they just go back to their life. Meanwhile, I'm like, well, if it doesn't matter and no one cares, why are we prosecuting Madigan? I mean, <laughs> I need to know that. Like, if this doesn't caught. matter. Well, they got caught. <laughs> no, they got they got investigated. A journalist found out, right? Is that is that how it went down with Madigan? Uh, no, Madigan, uh, as I recall, uh, Danny Solis uh, was wore wearing a wire. For the feds. Yeah, wore a wire for the feds, and Danny Solis did something that uh, uh, triggered the feds' interest that uh, compelled him to wear a wire. So I suppose if Chitty Thomas were wearing a wire. <laughs> <laughs> That would be oh fun. Yeah. I would. I hope she wears a wire to book club. You know, I well, want. I, I want the lizard. You know, Illuminati level Ginny Thomas. I don't want this. She she got some money for consulting. Boring. I want the good stuff. I want the uncut lizard people on the moon, tinfoil hat stuff. Okay, and that'll that'll bring people back in. You know, I know people are bored. People are tired. We got to ramp it up here. We we got to get to uh, to Illuminati level conspiracies, and that'll that'll get people feeding again. Like that, you know. Have Jenny Thomas get caught in 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 costume at like a Beyonce concert? You know what I mean? Like that'll that'll get people talking. That'll get uh, people worked up. Not seeing that happening anytime soon. Uh, I I I'm hoping uh, that uh, this corruption. Uh, of Clarence Thomas uh, will get so embarrassing uh, that and so uh, obviously uh, too much to overlook that even the, the, the proverbial swing voters will turn against the Republican Party. I'm always looking for that that moment where it's just too much for people who are not like you or me. You know, we don't they don't start out where we are, politically speaking, and they go, I cannot tolerate uh the Republican Party anymore. I, I don't. I kind of felt we reached it in 2020, but the Republicans, Pat, they just kept plowing ahead. They never apologized. They never said they did anything wrong. They counterattacked. They made themselves out to be victims. Donald Trump is now number one in the polls, likely uh, the likely nominee. CNN has capitulated. They will give him like an hour's worth of free time on their network for a town hall that will be consisting of Republicans in the audience. So like, what are going be Dems in the audience? I feel as though like by just not surrendering in any way, 
they have triumphed. And now we got this case with Ginny Thomas. It seems like the Dems and Clarence Thomas are too afraid to go after Clarence Thomas for an obvious case, what, of conflict of interest at the very least. I feel as though it's a triumph for them. Talk me off the ledge, Pat. No, it, it absolutely is because, I mean, you're, you're right. Like most people are just going to be like, yeah, well, we know. We know it's corrupt. And so like the specifications of that corruption don't seem to grab people even when it is like evident. But what I also don't understand is, you know, for, for, for someone like Michael Madigan, who is, is, you know, a legislator, right? He works in, in the Capitol. He is involved in like writing laws and passing legislation and things of that nature. So his outlook and like his opinion on things and his ability to be swayed by money has, has a pretty direct, you know, effect on, on the lives of, of people who live in Illinois. Clarence Thomas is on the Supreme Court, not a Supreme Court, not a court, uh, not traffic court, the Supreme Court. And you got to wonder what what is his outlook, you know, but I guess you don't have to because you look at, you know, briefs by Scalia and him as well. You know, they make it pretty clear where they sit ideologically. It's to the right of most people. Um, on the spectrum. And so the influence there, you know, where, whereas Madigan, it's about contracts and things of that nature, the, the, the influence that people are trying to buy and sway with Thomas has to do with legislation enshrined in the constitution of our country. The, the, the effects are much broader, much deeper, much longer lasting, much more frightening to me. Um, and if that can't grab you, Look, the writers are on strike. I don't know what to tell you. This is probably the best we're going to get for a while. Yeah. No, the writers are on strike. This would, uh, if you saw this in a show, if you saw this in, uh, in uh, a dramatic series on Netflix or Hulu or whatever, you go, well, I don't know if this is true. I don't know if this could be true. Too but essentially, uh, this goes far beyond the example I used, the Michael Mann movie, where they were fixing a criminal trial uh, in open court. <laughs> The, the lawyer was putting the fingers up and the judge would respond with certain fingers to say how much he wanted. You've seen the movie. I, I gather you have seen. The I movie. have. Okay. I have. And I also think that the scene where they're trying to pay James Conn off uh, the, the, the mob boss, you know, he's trying to, I, I forget exactly, but basically he's trying to pay him off and give him money. And, and James Conn is this amazing monologue, which is an incredible like encapsulation about the writer's strike as well, which is like, you're trying to take the fruits of my labor, the, the sweat of my brow. You're trying to take that from me and it's mine. Uh, great, great film. A, a quintessential Chicago movie. You, you got to see it. If you haven't, you live in this yeah. town. Beautiful yeah, day here I, in the loop, by the way. Happy Cinco de Mayo. Man. Yeah, happy Cinco de Mayo. Oh, it's a, always a beautiful day in the city of Chicago. Uh, so even true. Uh, and uh, the line, the classic line uh, after the scene in the courtroom, which I just I know we're on a tangent here, uh, where the lawyer, I think the lawyer says to Jim Conn, he says, I got to go take care of Earl Warren. And he's alluding to the judge uh, in the Cook County Circuit Court building. I mean, he calls him Earl Warren or Warren, of course, was the Supreme Court justice. Uh, and he's mocking the notion, ladies and gentlemen, that. There's just because they're both judges, there's any correlation between a Supreme Court justice who is above any kind of petty corruption and a Chicago Circuit Court judge. And now we find ourselves in a situation 40 years after a thief came out where a Supreme Court justice's wife is on the payroll 
of a group that's bringing cases before the Supreme Court. <laughs> I got to take care of Clarence Thomas is all too true. By the way, you have any thoughts about you mentioned the the you've mentioned the, the strike of the writers twice now. Do you have any thoughts about the writer strike? I'm I uh, I have a lot of thoughts about that, but I'm just curious. Same. Same. No, I absolutely. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, you're asking at what level of, uh, you know, corruption is going to be enough to grab people's attention and, you know, kind of use public uh, pressure to motivate uh, decisions at a, a prosecutorial level or investigative level. You know, that's what we're talking about, right? If it really grabs people and people really get worked up about it, then the news is going to report on it and then it's going to have people's attention at, you know, in D.C. and, and someone's going to make a move, allegedly, right? That's typically how these things go. I think the writer's strike is very much the same. You know, we have these very corrupt, uh, you know, as an actor, as a guy who gets residual checks, as a uh, union member, proud union member of SAG-AFTRA, um, I will get you my dues. I know I owe you some dues and I'm, I'm working on it. Um, I got <laughs> married. I got married recently. It's tough. But I am still a member. I still have a pan and a t-shirt in the whole nine and uh, residual checks ain't what they used to be. Thankfully I did Chicago PD much like every other actor who, who lives in Chicago. But um, you know, those residual checks could be $200. They could be seven cents. It's always very exciting to open those, uh, those envelopes up. And we are really talking about being able to make a living doing these types of things, right? Like writing the scripts that you sit and watch on, on max HBO max or Netflix and things of that nature. And to bring it back to like getting people's attention, I mean, you're going to tell me Netflix, HBO Max and them don't have people's attention? Is is it going to is it going to shake is it going to shake people enough uh, where they sit on their couches where they're going to feel like they need to make their voices heard about it? And you know, to boil it down even further, we're talking about organized labor. We're we're talking about the ability of of people to be able to be paid and and sustain a lifestyle. Um, based on the the work that they do. So, I mean, it, it really, it, it touches a lot of different parts of the American psyche for me right now. But um, I, I think the Ginny Thomas, we need to end this writer's strike so that we can see the Ginny Thomas Lifetime original movie or, you know, you know Cartoon Network. I don't care who does it, honestly, because it's, it's going to be a doozy. Um, but yeah, the, the writer's strike, they, they got to wrap this up. It's pretty straightforward. These CEOs are making billions of dollars a year. The C-suite uh, bonuses and annual salaries go up and up and up. And meanwhile, people can't make a living writing and, and producing and, and acting. You know, and so before I went into acting, everyone would say, well, that sounds nice. But like, what are you going to do for money? And that's kind of the way people look at this, right? You're not really adding value with this job. You're not really doing something that warrants your ability to support a lifestyle, right? Because why? Because it's frou-frou? Because it's, it's make-believe? because it's silly you know no one could ever really boil that down for me but they sure as hell will sit on their couch for three hours a goddamn night and watch people tell fake stories on tv so that that's a bit of a rant a bit meandering but i i can i can connect the dots i can stand back here and like make it make it easier to see i could put on a show for you back here ben this is a great setting oh my that is beautiful setting uh i uh uh, there's many aspects of the writer strike uh, that intrigue me. Uh, one is sort of like the contempt that many people have uh, toward well anybody who goes on strike. So like when teachers go on strike or well with the professors, yeah, I went on strike at uh, UIC. 
Yep. Graduate students have gone on strike uh, here in the Chicago Landers. Like, if you're not involved, I, I, I've said this before, Pat, people, they, they don't want to extend sympathy because, like, sympathy is sort of like a capital that they want to hold on to. Uh, and it, it's like if you're sympathetic for someone, then it's sort of implied, well, what are you going to do about it? Well, I don't want to do anything about it. Uh, right. So I'm so people look for excuses not to extend sympathy. I see this across the board in many different instances. Of, like, people complain, like, for instance, about airplanes flying over their homes out by O'Hare. Uh-huh. And then everybody, well, why'd you move there? You knew about the airplanes. Why'd you move there? Yep. Uh, so that's a. You know, I did so many stories in the 80s and the 90s and the O's about neighborhood disputes and spats in the city of Chicago. And anytime I would write a story, there were a reaction of a reader like, who cares? Yeah, I don't care. I got problems, too. So I've, I, there's a, just I'm, I just watch people have a lack of sympathy or empathy for the striking writers. And then the issue they raise of artificial intelligence, they want limits on the uh, use of artificial intelligence to write scripts because we're getting to the point apparently where machines will be able to write as well as humans. Uh, and uh, I forget where I saw this. Someone was opining that it's unrealistic for the writers uh, to seek those kinds of restrictions because that's progress. That's civilization. Civilization is constantly <laughs> moving forward and you can't hold back. I'm like, well, I don't know about well, that. I mean, yeah, well, okay. So here's, uh, I, I feel pretty strongly about this. So we put a, a guy like on, on one day, no human had been on the moon. And the next day, people had been on the moon, right? So Kennedy did the, the moon shot. He gave speeches about it. He secured federal funding. He pointed the all seeing eye of the federal government and the nation on the goal of going to the moon. And they achieved it, right? Why is AI going to be able to write as well as a human if we do get there? And I think we're a long way off. It's because a lot of capital has been put towards that, right? It's because someone's goal is, I want to create AI that can write as good as humans. Is their motivation to see and give people better stories? Or is their motivation to not have to fucking pay anyone to do it? What's the motivation of these things that we can achieve, right? We could cure cancer. We could go to Mars. We could do anything we want. But why? What's the motivation? Why would we do it? What, what, what is pushing us in that direction? And for this AI shit with the writers, I get, I get worked up about it. People are like, well, that's just how it is now. It's like, yeah, but why? There's a ton of AI companies that are out there. And I mean, you know, you want to bring it back to Silicon Valley Bank? I'd be glad to go there with you on that. And there are plenty of promises the federal government has made in the next 10, 20, 30 years that developing technology is a big part of it, right? So we do need to be investing in ventures that are moving civilization forward. You know, if you want to talk to someone who doesn't want to make civilizations um, and progress any further, talk to the Republican Party, right? I mean, they want to stay right here and actually have to move back just a little bit, maybe like a little more medieval when it comes to women's rights and stuff like that. But so we can make progress in whatever area we so choose. But if we're making progress to ensure that we don't have to pay anyone to make the stories that we that we do that or that we that we watch that we enjoy, what are the people who wrote them before going to do? Because the federal minimum wage is still seven dollars and twenty five cents an hour. So are they going to go work at Amazon? What are they going to do? Right. And that that so 
you know, that that's a little disconnected, go, but yeah. No, it's not. They're going to go create, go work and create the machines that will ultimately replace them. Yeah, and then when so, we make the machines that make machines, then, then what are we going to do? You yeah, know, I no, know. I hear you. Now, let me ask you this. You said uh, I can make a Silicon Valley a bank uh, analogy, and then you didn't. I'd like to hear you make that analogy. Well, it's just, you know, <laughs> money's made up, man. We made it up. <laughs> it's uh, it's not real. And, and so, you know, our ability to convince the public that the market is working while home prices go up and wages go down, and density increases. I'm I'm going to uh, to Ireland for my honeymoon at the end of the month, and I've been doing some research on Ireland. And even renting, not just buying, but renting in Dublin is apparently impossible. Like it could take two to two and a half years for a student to find rental housing um, in the city of Dublin. And I look at that and I think, well, it's real. It, it can happen somewhere else. It could happen here, right? And so when it comes to Silicon Valley Bank, you look at what people are investing in again it's like what are we investing our time in what are we investing our thought in what are we investing our money in and if we're investing in all of these things into a path that will lead to a bunch of people being out of work they're either going to be unable to sustain themselves or they will be able to sustain themselves and so it feels a little cart before the horse for me when people are like well that's just progress like fuck you that's progress we got other yeah. types of progress to make first I uh, I thought you were going a different direction, but the direction you went with, uh, fine. But uh, to me, Silicon. Where do you think? Well, I, Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, we talked about this when it when it went down. It's still going down. We haven't talked about the banking crisis. That seems uh, we're we're turning to Jamie Dimon to bail us out of one failed bank after another. Yeah. Uh, but as soon as so, as soon as there was a run on the money at Silicon uh, uh, Valley Bank, which is uh, in California, uh, and is heavily. Uh, uh, used by uh, people uh, like the the Facebook crowd, uh, the tech crowd of Northern California. Uh, as soon as their money was in danger, all these techies who are libertarians started preaching, begging, demanding that the government intervene. And again, this goes back to the same. How can you have policies? How can you have a civilized society if no side has any has one side has no principles whatsoever? If you're a libertarian and you believe that the market dominates, the market rules, then when you lose at the market, you accept the consequences of losing at the market. You shouldn't then then demand the government come in and save you because you're going to use the arguments that people have to uh, survive by the market when it's a poor person looking to get. I don't know looking to get uh, guaranteed uh, income or looking to get welfare or looking to get general assistance or more money for their public schools. Then you go, no, no, the market has to determine and decide things. Stop interfering in it. But then as soon as your neck is, is in trouble, you're like, oh, I need the mar I need the government to bail me out. Someone's got to do something about this. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And no, so yeah, you're absolutely right. And I, I, that, that reminds me again of the, the attention to corruption again, you know, what, it, I, I, you, you got to wonder if it's prosecutorial dragging their feet. Like what, what, what is, what's the prioritization? What's the triage of these, these types of issues. Right. And, and if you mess with people's Facebook, they're going to be upset. So someone better help out Facebook and figure that out. Right. But I, I don't know. I like that you call it Silicon Valley because everyone says Silicon Valley. And I think Silicon Valley is much 
funnier. What did I call it? I don't even know what it is. Silicone. 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 Yeah. Okay. Uh, sorry. Well, I'm sorry about right. that. Silicone. <laughs> there are strange people coming up to Pat as he stands out on a street corner here in the city of Chicago, but they've <laughs> left him alone. Uh, and uh, all right. Uh, let's move on to uh, Tucker Carlson. Uh, topic I know you want to talk about because you had a, a ringing defense of Tucker Carlson from, and you said this, a lifelong Democrat who is driving your lift. I have a hard time believing he truly is a lifelong Democrat. No, uh, I swear to God, Paul Vallis was my lift driver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's out of work. He's a lifelong everybody Democrat, needs... except for that part of his life when he was a Republican. Uh, <laughs> uh, I love that, the lifelong Democrat. I'm yeah, a lifelong well, I... Democrat. <laughs> so anyway, explain <laughs> he what didn't he say said. whose life. Yeah, um, I know. Yeah, okay. Uh, so I, I was on the phone with you, Ben, and we were talking about, the, oh, what a week. You know, we were getting ready for this, this, uh, this discussion, and uh, we were talking about many different topics. And uh, when I got off the phone with you, my Lyft driver was like, oh, you seem like a guy who really drives the narrative. I got a lot of power. And I was like, well, I mean, I think you're talking about Ben in this instance. But uh, but I, 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 I hang out with a guy who who does. He's like, you guys got to wake up, man. And I was like, uh oh, <laughs> where's where's this going? And first it was about. So he's like Dominion, Dominion voting systems, totally corrupt totally corrupt this dominion voting systems they they screwed with the election in brazil they screwed with the with elections here uh why is no one investigating them it's a foreign company someone's got to do something about it like okay what else he's like well i heard you talk about tucker you know i love tucker you know i'm a lifelong democrat i go i mean not if you're still alive you're not like (laughs) because you're defending tucker carlson he goes well you know i'm not defending him i'm just saying he's a good guy Okay. Well, I mean, that sounds like defending him to me. And he's like, well, I just hope he lands on his feet. And I said, I'm pretty sure the Swanson frozen dinner heir is going to land on his feet. Right. I, I forget what frozen dinner he is the heir of, but uh, he, he, he can sell his bow ties if, if need be, but he was getting, he was frothing at the mouth, man. And, and he, he connected dominion what's happening to Tucker and socialism in one fell swoop very quickly. And, you know, I haven't, I've been out of the house. I've been hanging out with people, but like talking to random strangers isn't something I have done in the last two, two and a half, three years. And so to, to, to end the phone call with you about how we should prioritize our discussion and then hear what he said to me, when you think about hearts and minds and keeping people focused on corruption and wanting, wanting to get these types of things solved. And then you hear a guy say something like that. It was not the most uplifting thing that i that i heard today ben that that's all and if, well, they, they, if that seems meandering and disconnected so was he okay so uh here's just my first thought about your conversation uh with this uh, driver I, sh- I started with a uh, lifelong democrat i'm gonna go there people will say i'm a lifelong democrat whenever they start i'm a lifelong democrat but beware but. of what comes after the but Right. Because, first of all, they're using the tag lifelong Democrat to somehow or other, they're going to abet their attempt to discredit whatever Democrats stand for. So 
it's as though they were saying, even I, the lifelong Democrat, now realize that Tucker Carlson is right. Boy, I hope they take that sentence out and promote it. And my show will get all, all these uh, MAGA people snowing up. Even I, the lifelong Democrat, will say that Tucker Carlson is right. And then, like the New York Times, will go, lifelong Democrats are starting to move toward Tucker Carlson. And I'm like, I don't believe that guy's a lifelong Democrat any more than I believe Paul Vallis is a lifelong Democrat. I believe that Paul Vallis has done a discredit to the notion of a lifelong Democrat. Paul Vallis, who ran for mayor, you remember him like front liberals. You voted for him. Now you're pretending you didn't. That Paul Vallis clearly left the Democratic Party years ago, openly flirted with MAGA, probably voted Republican. No one knows. No one saw his ballot. Uh, in the general elections. And then when he needed to uh, get elected mayor of the city of Chicago and he had to convince like front liberals that he wasn't anti-choice, he goes, oh, no, I'm a lifelong Democrat. And he got Tom Tunney to promote him. Embarrassing moment for absolutely everybody in the city of Chicago. So uh, as soon as the guy, you told me that the guy said he was a lifelong Democrat, he now likes Tucker Carlson. I knew it was baloney. No Democrat would like Tucker Carlson. Well, Carlson stands for everything Democrats hate. Go. Gives me gives me no pleasure to report. Uh, Rain Wilson, who I don't think is a uh, a uh, you know a, a celebrity of the Clint Eastwood ilk or anything, but uh, he definitely strikes me as more liberal, certainly more open minded than most of the mainstream conservatives. Uh, folks will know him as Dwight on The Office. Rain Wilson, very funny actor. Um, he, he retweeted uh, Tucker's uh, video, his first video, when he, like three days after he got fired, he made a video online. And he basically, you know, did what most folks in political realms do when they get into trouble. They, they go on as mainstream an avenue as they can find, and they say the most middle-of-the-road agreeable thing they can think of so that no one will be like, eh, I don't like you. But Rain Wilson retweeted that video and said, you know, I haven't really liked uh, Tucker Carlson and most of what he said, but he's making a lot of sense here. And what T Tucker Carlson said was like, you know, TV debates are pointless. Tucker Carlson, who started hardball, <laughs> yeah. right, is now, after being fired, saying TD TV debates are pointless. I, do I don't want to besmirch this man or his credibility, but do you think he might be looking for a job and saying things that are a little, you know, easy to believe? I mean, it just reminds me of a lot of mainstream Democrats who would say things like, you know, Nazis have no place in America. Oh, what a, my hero, how, how brave, you know yeah. what I mean? Like they, they say things that are very middle of the road, agreeable, that, that most people can get, get along with. So that they get a retweet by Rain Wilson, and now the rebrand begins. Right, yeah. that's what's happening here. Is that it's this? It's a rebrand. He's going to move from the right to the center, and if you wait long enough, people will forget that he told lies on air for money uh, in an effort to sway the election. Um, yeah, I. Uh, so I'm not watching the, the Office, even even though the writers are on strike. I'm not doing Office reruns. Okay, uh, fair enough. I had a smile when you told me that story about Rain Wilson. I thought Hollywood was supposed to be so liberal. Apparently, uh, it's not that liberal. 
Um, no, no, Tucker Carlson's liberal now, so it still counts. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Now, I, I, I have not watched that uh, footage you're alluding to when he says TV debates. Was he talking about presidential debates? Is that I what think he, meant? he was? He, yeah, I think he was being uh, mostly focusing on like presidential debates and how they don't actually mean anything, which kind of reminded well, me of, of your idea about the town hall with Trump on CNN. Yeah, well, we he, well, Donald Trump uh, has already, uh, to me, it looks like an attempt to suck up the Donald Trump because Donald Trump announced that he would not be participating uh, in the Republican uh, presidential debates. Believe it or not, there's the campaign season is about to begin. The 2024 campaign season is about to begin. And the Republicans are scheduled to have a debate of their candidates who are running for the Republican nomination to go up against Joe Biden. The first debate, I believe, is in August. And Donald Trump has announced that he's not going to participate in that debate because he doesn't want to elevate his opponents by having him among them. By standing among them, I'll just elevate them. And so what he's going to do is just ignore it, make fun of them from the side. Uh, and... Uh, so my guess is uh, that was Tucker Carlson's way of sucking up, further sucking up uh, to Donald Trump uh, by saying, yeah, of course, yeah, the, the debates are worthless. Nobody cares until Donald Trump's in one and then everyone will care. Uh, so that, that was my uh, guess. That would make sense because a lot of those text messages were released of Tucker's said that he just beats Donald Trump. So trying to get yeah. back in his graces would be a good move right now. Absolutely. Uh, Donald Trump controls MAGA. MAGA controls the Republican Party. If you want uh, to be an emissary of MAGA, if you want to be the person they turn to uh, on your podcast or your television show or your radio show, whatever it is, uh, you have to cultivate Donald Trump. That's the way it is. Uh, and apparently you have to con uh, you also have to cultivate Ginny and Clarence Thomas. Uh, all right. Uh MAGA inroads in Chicago are on my mind. Uh, I saw the uh, news bits and read the articles about the meeting at South Shore, at South Shore High School uh, on the south Yikes. side of Chicago yesterday, uh, having to do with uh, potentially a city proposal uh, to house uh, refugees, asylum seekers uh, who have been bused into Chicago or flown to Chicago uh, by Governor Gregory Abbott from Texas uh, at South Shore. It was raucous to put it mildly uh there was a lot of maga sentiments uh expressed and uh, the maga signs waved in the air things like build another wall uh and uh, go home that kind of thing uh, we don't want you i sent them to the north side uh and uh you know i'm i take very seriously the 48 percent of the vote that paul vallis got in this last election and I do believe that MAGA is making inroads uh, in the city of Chicago, particularly like when you, you could take a MAGA issue and turn it into like a NIMBY issue, which apparently is uh, uh, happening in South Shore. Do you think I'm going too extreme with this, Patrick J. Whaley? No, I don't. And that's I right. I, I don't know what the, you know, the, the precinct breakdowns are for the area around the school. But my fear that perhaps could be on unfounded is that you know everything's a good idea until i've got to pay for it right so like taxes should go up oh well not my taxes someone else's taxes you know what i mean um at the end of the day we have the label of a sanctuary city and the idea that we are a sanctuary city that doesn't house migrants uh doesn't really work um 
I, I, I saw good questions online about, and that meeting, I mean, Raucus is putting it lightly. Like I, I have seen, I think it was uh, Claudia Morell that was there and she recorded it, you know, the sound of the meeting. And she showed like the waves of sound and apparently just, it was 80% yelling. Just people were screaming. The city could not get information out. Uh, the officials couldn't get a word in edgewise. They were just being screamed at by the people who were at this meeting because they did not want these people to be housed at this vacant school. And one of the questions for those folks was what should that vacant school be used for instead? Should it be turned back into a school? Should it like in Uptown, not far from where I live, a, a public school was converted into high-end luxury apartments, which is uh, just not my cup of tea. Um, you know, should it be knocked down and should like you build a hospital there or a bigger school or, you know, I, I don't know. But it seems less to me like folks are saying put them somewhere else and more to me like we don't want them here, period. And and that 48% you said were for valor? Yeah. I mean, that's that's a lot of people. I don't think we can take the blue bubble for granted here, but um, the logistics of, of what this stuff means, you know, when the rubber meets the road on this type of rhetoric on fucking Cinco de Mayo, pardon me, I got a potty mouth today. Um, <laughs> but you know, I just, these, these people are sleep, you know, and I see that the pictures that very clearly officers who work in the departments and the precincts are taking of these people at the lowest point in their lives, trying to take care of their children, trying to keep their families alive, and they're passing pictures around to these people and, and laughing at them and making fun of them and saying, ha ha, these people can't support themselves because they came from a part of the world that doesn't have it as well off as we do. It's terrible. And my fear is always that there is a very thin line. It, you, you don't, I, I am afraid of people who think they have a good quality of life and they enjoy their quality of life because they're able to look down on someone else who has it worse. That's a big fear of mine, that a lot of people who are just okay with the way things are, that they're okay with it because someone else has it worse and they can point and laugh and they can say, these people don't have their shit together. They're, you know, they're unorganized. This is where racist tropes come from. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's disgusting, man. It, it, really, it, it really gets my goat. It gets me worked up that, that people think it's a good idea to allow people into the city and then say well you're on your own you know good luck yeah. figure it out i i actually don't know if anybody thought it was a good idea to let the people in the city we talked about this at length uh uh with Adolfo mandragon earlier in the week uh it's there's so far i think eight thousand uh, asylum speak seekers that have been brought uh, to yeah. chicago from texas which doesn't seem like an overwhelming amount to me. And I, I admit I am not the person in charge of uh, resettling folks. Uh, I do not work for City Hall. It'd be, it'd be a task that I would be most unsuited for. But I know that uh, there are people who do this kinds of thing. And my general sense uh, is that uh, Lori Lightfoot, since February, has more or less decided to, that uh, that's not her problem anymore. She was not reelected. Uh, and she's counting down the days, running out the clock. She's leaving office May 15th. So 
I could make a justification for this big time decisions as to what to do with asylum seekers should be the next mayors. That would be the best spin on it. The other spin on it is like, you didn't elect me. Well, you figure it out. Uh, and, uh, you know, I have heard uh, talk from folks, all kinds of uh, uh off-the-record comments that the transition between uh, Lori Lightfoot's administration and the incoming Brandon Johnson administration is not as smooth as we would like. I think there's a lot of animosity that still exists there, uh, particularly on Lori Lightfoot's part. Uh, and so in many ways, Pat, I think we're just going to start making the plans for what to do with the uh, asylum seekers once Brandon Johnson is uh, in office as mayor, once the new city council is sworn in, uh, and then there's just going to be people who are going to be held accountable for the decisions that they make, as opposed to this limbo land that we now uh, live in, where it's the mayor realizes that she's out of office in a, well, it's less than a month now, two weeks. So uh, she's not going to uh, stick her neck out on any decision. That was pretty much the, the the takeaway I had when I was listening to uh, the reports from last night's meeting where they didn't quite know what they were going to do with the school. It was you right. know, it was vague notion of using it for asylums. Go ahead. No, I just, I, I, I would be interested to hear, and this isn't me being sarcastic. It is me being wanting to know what this community wants to do with this school? Do they want another school back? Do they want it used for something else? But I just also want to point out with coming off of, you know, Kim Fox is going to retire. I'm terrified this is going to be Johnson Ballas rhetoric 2.0, that we're going to hear the same crime arguments all over again. And I just think it's interesting that when we don't know what we're going to do with these migrants who arrive and their families, these people who have nothing and are looking to start a new life, where do they go? Where do they end up? the lobby of a police station. So this is what we're talking about when we say all of the resources. And of course, these officers are now charged with like, you know, making sure they, I don't know, have somewhere to go to the bathroom and have water and things of that nature. I think they are feeding them at times when they get donations for food, they're insuring. But like this, this again is the moonshot thing. It's the AI thing. What are we focusing our resources on? And if what the only thing to catch these people when they fall is the police, Maybe we need a whole nother thing to be able to deal with it because they're not going to stop coming, right? Like, I, I'm, I know well, no one wants it in their own backyard, but, like, they're coming. No, that, that is such a fundamental question, a basic question. How in the world did they end up at the police stations? And I read the articles, and I never hear an explanation. How is it? This is – I'm with the police who are in those stations on this basic point. This is not an appropriate setting for uh, families, so I, that would be the first question to be answered. But again, the administration that's in charge right now is leaving in two weeks. And I don't think we'll start getting answers uh, to these questions and any kind of policy uh, going forward until the new administration comes in. I, I, I believe we are in a holding pattern. I, I don't either, but I think, I think this limbo is a great time for people to, you know, Maybe we can get some of the writers who are on strike in to try to come up with some creative ideas because if there were ever a time to try to reimagine how we do things, it is smack dab in the middle of two mayoral administrations. Yeah. You know, uh, and the fact is that the resources that we have, like the police, are the ones that catch people when they arrive because that's what we have the most of. Maybe it's not the uh, best way to do things. All right. Uh, I, before I let you go, uh, you're going to give us. Uh, 
a prediction of what you'll hear uh, on the Sunday talk shows. My favorite part when Pat Whalen uh, comes on the show. Uh, as I always point out, Pat watches the Sunday uh, morning talk show, so we don't have to. Thank you, Pat, for your service. Uh, and <laughs> I don't think I've watched one of these shows in ages, but I, I feel like, thanks to you, I understand how they operate and work. Uh, and these, of course, are the, the national uh, Sunday talk shows on uh, early morning, eight, nine in the morning, got all early hours when nobody's up. Uh, and uh, where the Republicans try to put their spin on things. So I'm guessing that Clarence Thomas will be one topic, but uh, take it away. What do you think is the topics that will be addressed this Sunday and what kind of spin do you expect to hear from both parties? Go. Yeah, I think uh, Ben put it, you put it very well. I think I, I watch the shows to kind of understand what the what the narrative will be in the coming week. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a place where people bring their grievances for their interviews where Chuck, Chuck Todd attempts to get them to answer his questions. Um, uh, speaking of Chuck and Meet the Press, which is one of the Holy Trinity that I, I take part in on Sunday, I do call it going to church for your, for your first-time listeners. Um, Luke Russert, Tim Russert's son, has a new book out, and I'll bet you five bucks that Chuck Todd has him on to do an interview about the book and talk about his dad, so that's one thing. Clarence Thomas is definitely another I think ABC this week with George Stephanopoulos is going to be a free-for-all. As usual, you typically have like Donna Brazil versus Chris Christie, who, don't forget, still thinking about tossing his hat in the ring, I believe. So he won't turn down a little FaceTime there, and I'm sure there will be blood on the floor. Um, the budget? You know, Congress? Like it, when we're talking about Face the Nation, which is a little more, you know, the – the, the, the tough school marm of, of the three, you know, ABC is like the WWF meet the press is like bland vanilla. Um, and, and, and face the nation is like the most we're trying, you know what I mean? We're trying to give you mainstream actual perspective on these types of issues. And so I'm always interested to see what Margaret Brennan wants to talk about. Could be stuff about Russia and Ukraine. They are pretty focused on foreign policy and international issues. But I think uh, the budget in Washington, I mean, Ben, there are less than, I think, around 20 days left in, in the congressional session in D.C. And if they don't pull a rabbit out of the hat with this fucking budget, we're going to default. I have a terrible potty mouth today. I'm really sorry. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's that's a huge deal. And I'm not I'm not seeing a lot of blood on the floor for that. I don't know about you. Like, I'm seeing a lot of culture war stuff. I'm not seeing a lot of budget talk default uh, uh default talk uh, uh, about the budget in washington so i, I think there's going to be stuff on uh that for meet the press face the nation and this week with george stephanopoulos yeah the, the good old debt ceiling uh will they raise it will they raise the limit uh and uh before the government goes to default i know here here we are talking about uh resettling uh the uh, re refugee seekers, asylum seekers uh, somewhere in the city of Chicago. And our whole entire government, as we know, like goes into bankruptcy. Uh, that's like right hanging over us. I'm, I'm watching. Uh, I'll be curious to see if anybody, it, any Republicans come forth uh, to say that they're going to vote with Biden. You know, you just need five, as I yep. understand it, in uh, in the House to flip. And I, I, I can't recall the, ever a Republican president not being able to pick off five Democrats. 
uh, to uh, support whatever his initiative is. I remember Bush did it and Daddy Bush and Baby Bush and Reagan. Uh, and so um, here we are. Uh, can you get five Republicans to join with the Democrats uh, to vote to uh, lift the debt ceiling so that government can continue to operate, uh, even if it means breaking from their MAGA run party? And some of these Republicans are in districts, as I said already, that uh, went for Biden. Let's think about that for a moment. Their districts went for Biden. So it would be in their best political interest, I think, uh, in terms of the general election to vote for Biden. But they, of course, have to get through a primary before they get into a general. Uh, and so, Mag, like I said, we'll close it where we began. It. MAGA runs it. MAGA says goes. So that's what I'm looking for. If there's any, like they may they may bring on uh, to one of the shows, Pat, a, a Republican who's in a, a, one of these swing districts, uh, who will talk about what it will take to get him or her uh, to vote with Biden. That, but they won't answer. No, they'll. <laughs> no, they'll, 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 they'll take the invite. They'll do the interview, and they'll know what's coming. But they'll, they'll they they will have the most beautiful choreographed duck and dodge you ever did see. Yeah. By the way, I've been curious to see if Chris Christie takes another shot at Trump. He's been doing that all week. Uh, he says Trump's chicken. That Trump doesn't want to. Uh, the reason why he won't go in the debate because he doesn't want to go on the stage with him, Chris Christie. So it'll be uh, interesting to see if he's in between fighting with Donna Brazil. Will he uh, take a few shots at uh, Donald Trump? So you'll be my uh, reporter watching that. I will be sleeping. Uh, <laughs> uh, unless for some reason I get up really early and start reading. That's been known to happen. All right, Patrick J., thank you so much. You look very dapper in the tie and the jacket. I don't know how you set this up wherever you are, but you did a great job of setting up your camera. And uh, thank you very much for coming on the show. My pleasure, Ben. I'll be your eyes and ears on, on in, in church this Sunday. I'll talk to you soon. Very good. Thank you very much, Pat. Well, I also want to thank Producer Chris. Outstanding job as always. And as we like to say, Producer Chris, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Have a great weekend, everybody. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, get Benny J bonus interviews, and so much more great content all at chicagoreader.com. And follow the Ben Jarofsky Show on Instagram, at Benny J Show. If you want to follow Pat Whalen on Instagram, just at Best Evening Ever. We'll see you guys next week. Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home yes, cool. or attending one live, no! you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H 2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply. You know how to book flights and hotels. 
all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.